I'm your host, Rad Dad 2023, here in my love's bedroom. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. Yes. And it is time for us to talk about the mouse utopia. Is that a mouse noise? Squeak, 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 squeak. Where's the cheese? I'm a big mouse. Ah, yes. Gathered around the bed. The way I like it. <laughs> so, hi, honey. Hi. How are you? Wonderful. How was your day? It was wonderful. Was it? Yeah. I had some harder days, and so when a good day comes, something to celebrate. It is something to celebrate. We have the mascot of the show, Will, Little Burrow, sleeping soundly. Has no idea we're going to talk about little things he wants to make friends with. That's true. Might have to post a picture on the Instagram. Follow us there, Zanzizi Podcast on Instagram. So, honey, this kind of became a thing because I knew that you were... I know you're a fan of um, animals. Yes, but that was not the that, strong draw to this story. Right? Mm-hmm. So, do you want to enlighten the listeners to what was the draw? Yes. Or what's the background? Because now, the first couple episodes we've done, and granted, these are going to be all out of order, so who knows what, but we were going to surprise the co-hosts, but we decided that doesn't work because... Well, let's see. Lady Caitlin is not a huge new metal fan, and so it's easier for you guys to pick, and there's a big long list. So anyways, go ahead. Yeah, no, I could do some research on it, and all my life I've been curious about human psychology and interaction and immersing myself in theories of Enneagram, MBTI, or Myers-Briggs, or Socionics chart, which maps out the interactions between the personality traits, and uh, this was all in pursuit of me understanding other people, understanding myself, and to create a happy and ideal utopia of my own existence. And um, this, uh, so just hearing the hard details of this case study really got uh, me paying attention. Well, isn't there a cartoon that you used to watch that is... Okay, basically- yeah, when they, when they went into it was The Secret of Nim. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of my favorite animated movies, and my kids grew up watching it over and over again. It became a cult classic in our home. And the movie concept was based off of Calhoun's research um, with NIM, which is the National Institute of Mental Health. And in the movie, a group of rats had been experimented on and grew enormously intelligent and broke out of their facility and created their own society underneath a rose bush just off of a farmer's field and their world was about to be disrupted when they saw the farmer was gonna till up the land but um so it's it's just it's a really good movie and i've watched it over and over again to so to hear the experiment behind that idea was exciting yeah were you, did you ever have a rat or a gerbil or any small creature like that as a pet? Um, no, but my cousin did when I was in first grade, and I nuzzled it, and my face grew as big as a balloon, and my mom had to bring me to the emergency room. So, oh. Now, I had snakes growing up, like little gardener snakes I would put in my terrarium and stuff. Did you give them names? Hermit crabs. Oh, yeah. I can't remember the names now, but, you know. They wouldn't last long, or, I mean, once they started dying, then I knew that I could only um, love them for about two or three weeks, and then I'd have to set them out in the wild so I didn't keep killing my pets. Do snakes die pretty quick? Well, when you're in first grade and 
your mom doesn't, you're kind of a feral child. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, there's that, but I just, I'm just curious. I don't think, I think snakes are supposed to live a long time. I mean, people have them for years and years, but this was just when I was a kid and catching stuff in the, on my farmland. Well, the, according to Google, it's 13 to 18 years in captivity and 10 to 15 in the wild. So, yeah, just, you know, we, we have to dig out those facts. That's, that's good. Well, now when my kids find snakes in the grass, we had a big lawn and my parents have a farm. Um, I would let them love them for that day. And at the end of the night, they had to go home to their mom. Mm. I get it. I get it. So behavioral sync is a term invented by ethologist John B. Calhoun, who was in the opening clip, to describe a collapse in behavior which can result from overcrowding. The term and concept derive from a series of overpopulation experiments Calhoun conducted on Norway rats. Norway rats are the, uh, the brown rat also known as the common rat, street rat, sewer rat, wharf rat, Hanover rat, Norway rat, Norwegian rat, and Parisian rat. Just food for thought. The uh, experiments were conducted between 1958 and 1962, the year my mom was born. Nice. In the experiments, Calhoun and his researchers created a series of rat utopias in closed spaces in which rats were given unlimited access to food and water, enabling unfettered population growth. Calhoun coined the term behavioral sink in his February 1st, 1962 report in an article titled Population Density in Social Pathology in Scientific American on the Rat Experiment. He would later perform similar experiments on mice from 1968 to 1972. Calhoun's work became used as an animal model of societal collapse, and his study has become a touchstone of urban sociology and psychology in general. So, uh, we first heard about this, I think it was, I heard about this when... I was listening, I was watching a documentary, and we actually, we watched a documentary recently called Obsolete, kind of a downer, which you can rent on Amazon, I think for like two bucks is what we got it for. And they did touch on this, and this this kind of fed into what I feel like was the message of the movie about UBI, Universal Basic Income, which is something that's so, as far as we can gather people in high echelons, Basically, the cream of the crop, you know, get together at the Bilderberg Group and go, well, um, robots are obviously our main manpower. What are we going to do with all these fleshy things? You know, and meanwhile, while we're shoveling buckets of popcorn in our face and watching Avatar 7, we don't realize that the world is slowly going the way of mechanization or industrialization and it's scary and in this instance i guess to kind of give my two cents before i delve into all the information it's interesting because in a lot of things today we see like a left version and a right version when it comes to just about everything like the conservative or the progressive and in both instances on both sides when delving into this case it seems like there's an argument to be made on either or and that's it i mean it's an experiment at the end of the day so you can't just say oh the experiment said this so this is going to be the outcome because human beings are different than rats contrary to what some nihilistic folk may think we do have Hopes and dreams and desires. But anyway, in the 1962 study, Calhoun described the behavior as follows. Many female rats were unable to carry pregnancy to full term or to survive delivery of their litters if they did. An even greater number, after successfully giving birth, fell short in their maternal functions. Among the males, the behavior disturbances ranged from sexual deviation, horny rats, to cannibalism. 
and from frenetic overactivity to a pathological withdrawal from which individuals would merge to eat, drink, and move about only when other members of the community were asleep. So, introverted rats. Yeah. Um, gosh, I just, I have so much to say about all, it get, just gets your brain thinking about so many things. Well, as soon as you want to chime in, honey, mm-hmm. you just tap in. I can keep reading this experiment, this kind of breakdown, which yeah, is... Yeah, why, why don't you break it down, and then I can kind of... Dive in? Yeah. Okay. The social organization of the animals showed equal disruption. The common source of these disturbances became more dramatically apparent in the populations of the first series of three experiments in which they observed the development of what they called a behavioral sink. The animals would crowd together in greater greater numbers in one of the four interconnecting pens in which the colony was maintained. As many as 60 of the 80 rats in each experimental population would assemble in one pen during periods of feeding. Individual rats would rarely eat except in the company of other rats. As a result, extreme population densities developed in the pen adopted for eating, leaving the others with sparse populations. In the experiments in which the behavioral sink developed, infant mortality rate ran as high as 96% among the most disoriented groups in the population. So, babies not being born in the dense areas. Calhoun's early experiments with rats were carried out on farmland at Rockville, Maryland, starting in 1947. So he had this one cooking for a while. While Calhoun was working at the National Institute of Mental Health, NIM, in 1954, he began numerous experiments with rats and mice. During his first test, he placed around 32 to 56 rats in a 10 by 14 foot case in a barn in Montgomery County. Montgomery County. He separated the space into four rooms. Every room was specifically created to support a dozen matured brown Norwegian rats. Rats could maneuver between the rooms by using the ramps. Since Calhoun provided unlimited resources such as water, food, and also protection from predators as well as from disease and weather, the rats were said to be in Ratopia, quote, or mouse paradise, unquote. Another psychologist explained. Following his earlier experiments with rats, Calhoun later created his mortality inhabiting environment for mice in 1968. A 101 by 101 inch cage for mice with food and water replenished to support any increase in population, which took his experimental approach to its limits. In his most famous experiment in the series, Universe 25, population peaked at 2,200 mice and thereafter exhibited a variety of abnormal, often destructive behavioral, including refusal to engage in courtship, females abandoning their young, and by the 600th day, the population was on its way to extinction. Though physically able to reproduce, the mice had lost their social skill, skills required to mate. You gotta take her out. Right. They need to know what mouse engram you are. They need to know if you're a gentleman ra- mouse or if you're a rat. They don't want to, well, most girls like rats. They like the bad boys. Let's be real. Calhoun had phrased much of his work in anthropomorphic terms in a way that made his ideas highly accessible to a lay audience. Calhoun retired from NIM in 1984, but continued to work on his research results until his death, September 7th, 1995. Do you know what his daughter's names were? I don't. One was Cat, and one was Cheshire. Do you think that his uh, wife and him... Named those girls to be destroyers of mice. Ooh, interesting. Um, I don't know. Cheshire Cat? I mean, Cat is, what, short for Catherine? Yes. And, and Cheshire, Cheshire is, is a weird is name. It's short for Dick. I don't know. No, it's, it's two girls, and they are here to be destroyers of cats. This is an old experiment, and people have been discussing the parallels for years, but... We're here to add to the conversation. Mm-hmm. In which areas do humans align with animals and to what extent? Can we see similarities in which areas would be impossible to see, to be able to draw parallels? Um, what does it mean as us humans advance emotionally, technolo- technologically, and socially? Am I rubbing off on you? 
No, this has really just made me think. Like the mothers discarding the infants before they were done weaning, so they were left just to die. That kills my soul. I get that. But, you know, I mean, obviously the experiment is is meant to mimic humanity. No, 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 no. It's not. Actually, um... Let me see. Or maybe I, that's the part that he's supposed to give us the big gotcha. The the problem, well, I think it was for over overpopulation. Right. But the pro the problem in this experiment never became overpopulation because there was still plenty of room. They were like just meeting in these little spots. Mm-hmm. Um and I th- it was more the psychologists that looked into it were the ones that drew parallels to like a utopia or whatever. It's not really a mouse utopia. I mean, maybe it was for like the first hour when they're like, shit, guys, we can get as many mouse pellets as we want. And then it's like, Gary, you're getting fat. You're not moving. So even utopia has a shelf life? I think so. I think utopia is all a state of mind. If you want to be happy in this world, you need A, Mm -hmm. confidence, B, moderation, and C, a sense of humor. If you don't, if you don't harness these things well enough, you, so know, you those, can take Rad Dad's twenty nine ninety nine a month course. No, I'm just so kidding. so those mice should have been having better senses of humor. There should have been some wheels in there so they could spin around. They, they you know, mm-hmm. do the run thing. There should have been some areas to climb on. Walls get bland. I mean, there's a reason people go crazy in New York City and Detroit and L.A. and Chicago. Well, and just like the mice, the men are. Having sex, the mice men, the male men, are having sex with any gender. What would you say about male men? <laughs> um, and, and the mom stopped raising, their, the mom mice stopped raising their kids. I just, I think that uh, the family, the breakdown of family. So, do you think it's because of the environment, or do you think it's because of the circumstance? Well, the baby mice would often die because the mamas had to move their young from one place to another. She often have left some babies behind and think of what mothers and fathers do today when they both have jobs and they're stressed they have to drop the kids off to daycare but there's one little shift they go motherfucker we're getting taco bell no 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 there's one little shift and the mom or dad forgets the kid in the back of the car and horrible things happen i'm just saying don't and also don't leave your kids in the car especially if they're below eight and you crack a window that's it still can nuke them in the summertime. This is true. Look, I just took a driver safety course because I got a speeding ticket. Well, so. evolution has created Karens now where they will call the cops if they see a dog in the car. So, I mean, we're dealing with that problem. Do you think there's Karens in other species? There's like a giraffe with that. No, like, we are more over. evolved. <laughs> or like a gorilla with that, that. Nobody's calling CPS. Nobody's calling Mouse and Secret of Nim CPS saying, that mom forgot that mouse. Ook, ook. (laughs) I've been waiting for 30 minutes. Ook, 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 ook. Where's the manager? Ook, ook. Okay, so, but the no more reproducing thing, that caught me because, well. People ain't fucking. And when people ain't be screwing. Well, we have condoms. We have birth control. Mouse don't have condoms. Porn. No, No, they didn't. So they started tearing each other apart. <laughs> where's my squeak, squeak? Where's my squeak, squeak? Porn. Squeak, I need squeak. a plan B. Squeak mouse. I, I I dropped my eye rat. I can't log into Mice Hub. Oh my gosh! And then yeah, these male mice became angry, apathetic, mad mice, cheese nibbling incels. Oh, cheese nibbling incels, they're like mice and incels rolled into one, can't get a job, I live in my mouse okay. mom's basement. <laughs> so, nowadays, okay, with the mice, they lost the will to make love. Right. Um, that happens sometimes because of the porn do- dopamine addiction, and that leads to performance issues. Mm-hmm. It's real. All right, babe, I know. Yeah. I know. So, this is what's happening. I'm 40 years old. There were other decades where I wasn't so pure and lovely like the Red Dead 2023 that I am now. Um, I love what you interjected with. Um, 
The explanation, the specific voluntary crowding of rats to which the term behavioral sync refers to is thought to have resulted from the earlier involuntary crowding individual rats became so used to proximity of others while eating that they began to associate feeding with the company of other rats. So it's like a bad behavior rewards badly, if that makes sense. Like I'm doing something dumb. And and I see it too. I mean, it's like when you go in the kitchen. If you go in the kitchen, you keep giving your dog a treat then the, or a scrap from the food, which you shouldn't be, especially kids don't need to be doing that. Eventually, the dog eats some chocolate, and then it's got X's for eyes and its paws in the air. You don't want that. You got to be safe. You got to be smart. And the whole idea to that makes sense to me. And Calhoun eventually found a way to prevent this by changing some of the settings and thereby decreased mortality somewhat, but the overall pathological consequences of overcrowding remained. But then again, I get it too. Like if it's cold, you want to all buddy up, you know? Right. Skin to skin. Yeah. It's what babies like. It's what humans like. That's why we make cities and live in Mm -hmm. cities. Well, yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody's live or I'm, I'm assuming everybody in this, in this world at some point has been to grandma's house way out in the boonies and been creeped out to go down in the basement and had that feeling when you're walking up the stairs where you're like, you turn off the light and you're like, ah, the boogeyman. When you're out and you're alone, there's, there is a fear there. And, and being in a big city, I guess could theoretically make you feel more content and more safe. And I do love cities, but it's more so for architecture and like shopping not that I like to shop mostly. Uber Eats. Uber Eats, yes, exactly. All the, the selection is so much better. Mm-hmm. And I mean, us in the suburbs, we have it where we are great being so close to Grand Rapids. I mean, yeah. there's such a wide variety. Um, do you want to chime in or do you want me to keep going? Keep for- going. Okay, so uh, in the applicability to humans... According to Wikipedia, Calhoun himself saw the fate of the population of mice mice as a metaphor for the potential fate of humankind, which is kind of what I'm getting at here. He characterized the social breakdown as a spiritual death, with reference to bodily death as the second death mentioned in the biblical verse, Revelations 2.11. Controversy exists over the implications of the experiment. Psychologist Jonathan Friedman's experiment recruited high school and university students to carry out a series of experiments that measured the effects of density on behavior. He measured their stress, discomfort, aggression, competitiveness, and general unpleasantness. He declared to have found no appreciable negative effects in 1975 researchers argued that calhoun's work was not simply about density in a physical sense as number of individuals per square unit area but was about degrees of social interaction humans need social interaction i do i i assume in the animal kingdom animals need some sort of camaraderie as well um It, there, I understand people being introvert and be, being kind of like shielded into a corner or whatever, but like... You gotta, we all went crazy during COVID. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want an explanation of of this, you know, being alone kind of making you crazy, COVID is perfect. And then for an extroverted person like me, I went crazy. And you were here when I when I got COVID... And I was a little snot cry mess because I, I want to be able to see my kids. I want to be able to see my love. I want to be able to interact. I don't like hunkering down. I, I like it in the sense of a vacation, but my family's there. We can play games. We can, you know, we interact. We cook food. There's the sense of family and community is so important to humans as generally. Again, like I said, some people maybe thought COVID was like the greatest thing that ever happened to them. But, um, yeah, so that's that's mostly all I got from that article. Do you have anything you want to add before we take a little break, honey? Uh, no, I've got a lot to say when we come back. All right. We're going to take a break. We come back more about sinking 
and mices and mouses and rats in Norway. Second segment time. We're back. Doing everything ourselves because we're early in the process and we got no producers. <laughs> anyway, hey, 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 hey. How's it going? How's it going, my lovely? Hey, we are talking about a mouse utopia here, all right? Yes. There's like a lot of things that this made me think of i mean obviously i've seen i've seen the was it the nim why am i blanking? secret of nim secret of nim mm-hmm. i was gonna say the the party at nim's house or something <laughs> stupid but um no i i've seen that movie it's kind of of that like 80s art style that like kind of the rescue rangers rescue rangers fern gully I don't remember if it was one of those like 80s movies that you watched and you were like, oh, this is kind of scary and dark. Unless you have like partially dark heart where you're like, ooh, this is intriguing. Or you're like, I'm evil. I mean, this it's, not, it, it's evil. a dark movie, but it's it's still it's still wonderful. Good. And these mice in the actual experiment were fine for a while. Yeah, but we all die, don't we? No, they just got bored and having the compounding lack of meaning, having no real purpose or creative. Yeah, but I don't want to die fat on top of my buddies. Well, that that's I know. Boredom is not a way to go. You're yeah. supposed to be mid stride <laughs> high on mushrooms inside the love of your life at 97 years old going off a trampoline into a pile of gummy bears die that's I just what i saw want. a vision of my future <laughs> and i'm so excited about it okay good well according but, no go ahead you go well first. i was just gonna say not having no outside stimulation for these rats were their demise everything for survival was provided so they needed a rainbow well they had netflix uh, they had netflix unlimited you you uh wi-fi uber eats yachts they were fine for a while. You're talking about rats. Yeah, and the exper- experiment that we're talking about. Yeah, but that's different. Okay, listen. Mm-hmm. Those rats died because they they forgot who they were. Okay? They forgot for a minute that they were rats, and they needed to eat cheese and make holes and put a little door on it and then make a tiny little table so they could or the little rat family can sit down and Uncle Rat can come over and put his hat on the little coat mouse coat rack. Anyway, so there's this thing called Prut Ego. Prut Prut Ergo Okay, anyway. The Wendell O. Prout Homes and William Ego Apartments, known together as Prout Ego, were joint urban housing projects first occupied in 1954 in St. Louis, Missouri, U.S., United States. The complex consisted of 33 11-story high-rises designed in the modernist architectural style by Minoru Yamakaz- Yamasaki. 
No relation to the water vehicle or motorcycle, I mean. It was constructed with federal funds on the site of a former slum as part of the city's herbal, herbal urban renewal program. The project was originally intended to be racially segregated. A Supreme Court ruling forced the project to be integrated on opening, but from the beginning, it almost exclusively accommodated African Americans. When it opened, it was one of the largest public housing developments in the country. So, they get free housing, they got all the accoutrements, so this is very similar to what we were talking about in the first segment. Now, I'm not saying that African Americans are, or people in general are equal to rats or mice or whatever, but just bear with me here. So, although initially viewed as an improvement over the tenement housing in the slums, living conditions in Prude Ego began to deteriorate soon after completion. And by the mid-1960s, it was plagued by poor maintenance, high crime, and low... Excuse me, sorry, LaCroix. Low occupancy, vandalism, and juvenile delinquency were endemic problems. Numerous attempts to reverse the decline failed, and in 1972, several of the buildings were demolished by explosives in a widely televised event. I went to hell in a handbasket, honey. I know it. By 1976, all, every single one of the 33 buildings had been taken down. Yeah. Fruit Ego has come to represent some of the failures of urban renewal, public policy planning, and public housing. In the years immediately following its demolition, the project's failure was widely attributed to architectural flaws that created a hostile and unsafe environment. Charles Jenks described its demolition as, quote, the day modern architecture died. More recent appraisals have placed a greater emphasis on social and political factors, notably the decline in St. Louis's population and fiscal problems with the local housing authority. As of 2016, the Prute Ego site remained vacant and overgrown. What do you have to say about that, huh? What's your solution, huh? Oh, you want to you want to go into my personal utopian ideas? Yeah. Go ahead. What's your personal utopia? What's your... Okay, well, I... You've heard this many times. If I was the dictator of this world, everybody would be fed, happy, warm, safe, secure, and every everybody would be nice to each other, or else. It'll never happen, though. Well, you wanted know, me to describe I my understand. utopia. I know, I know, and I love your vision. And I still, you know what, I do work for that every single day. I understand that, but, and I think it's obtainable for you, and it's obtainable for me, but you have to look at it from that perspective. It's like the whole thing when you're going through, like, therapy, or you're reading all these books that are like, this is how I learned to tell the world to shut the fuck up, by Max Reed. Tell tell me in what demographic... Would my utopia not work with everybody warm, because everybody fed, everybody's gonna, kind? There's always going to be unhappy people, no matter what. Somebody went and saw Schindler's List and said, "F, terrible movie. Graphics were bad. Okay, no, that's Acting allowed. Listen, opinions would be allowed. Suffering would be gone. Challenges would be still there in my world. Everybody would have cookies, milk, and challenges, and that's fine. And we can discuss that and talk about it. I understand what you're saying, but there's always going to be a thread in there. I think what I was kind of trying to get at is that there's always the common thread of, like, the only person you can appease is yourself. So if in your mind you have all those things in that utopia, you're doing great. You're doing your part because everybody else... As long as you're kind, then, yeah, but you're the only person you can control that kindness coming from. Yeah, I would brainwash (laughs) everyone. You're not understanding my dictatorship. No, this is mind control. (laughs) It's getting crazy here. Well. But, um, 
a little bit more about the description of this housing. So Pruitt Ego consisted of 33 11-story apartment buildings on a 57-acre site on St. Louis's north side, bounded by Cass Avenue on the north, North Jefferson Avenue on the west, Car Street on the south, and North 20th Street on the east. They were built on concrete and clad in brick. Each building was 170 feet in length, and most contained between 80 and 90 units. That's a lot of people in one unit. Though some buildings had up to 150, the complex totaled 2,870 apartments and housed more than 10,000 people at full occupancy. That's tight. Oh, yeah. The apartments were deliberately small with undersized kitchen appliances and few units were designed for larger families. Skip stop elevators stopped only at the 1st, 4th, 7th, and 10th floors in an attempt to lessen elevator congestion, forcing many residents to use the stairs. The same anchor floors were equipped with large south-facing communal corridors called galleries, as well as laundry rooms and garbage chutes. So what led to this is basically in the 40s, the city of St. Louis was overcrowded with housing conditions, some areas said by historian Lawrence Larson and Richard Kirkendall to resemble something out of Charles Dickens' novel. Its housing stock had deteriorated by the 40s, and more than 85,000 families lived in 19th century tenements. An official survey from 1947 found that 33,000 homes had communal toilets. Can you imagine sharing a toilet with your neighbors? Sounds like camp. Yeah. You don't want to camp every day. No. Middle, middle class, predominantly white residents were leaving the city. And their former residents became occupied by low-income families. Black slums in the north and white slums in the south were expanding and threatening to engulf the city center. To save central properties from an imminent loss of value. See, that's when, that's when you get politicians to move. When there's a loss of value in the Cha-ching. stock. we hear you. City authorities settled on re- redevelopment of the inner ring around the central business di- district. Due to the state of decay, neighborhood gentrification never received serious consideration. The first generation of St. Louis public housing was enabled by the Housing Act of 1937 and opened in 1942 as two identical but racially segregated low-rise developments. Carr Square in the northwest for African Americans and Clinton Peabody in the southwest for whites. The projects intended for the working poor rather than the truly destitute were successful. In 1947, St. Louis planners proposed to replace DeSoto, DeSoto Carr, a rundown neighborhood with many black residents, with new two- and three-story residential blocks and a public park. The plan did not materialize. Instead, Democratic Mayor Joseph Darst elected in 1949 and Republican state leaders favored clearing the slums and replacing them with high-rise, high-density public housing. They reasoned that the new projects would help the city through increased revenues, new parks, playgrounds, and shopping space. Darst stated in 1951, We must rebuild, open up, and clean up the hearts of our cities. The fact that slums were created with all the intrinsic evils was nobody—it was everybody's fault. Now it is everybody's responsibility to repair the damage. See, the thing is, I feel like people have good intentions in in some public offices, and the people are what motivates us to try to get these things to happen. You know, you and and look, we need integration. We don't need segregation. We need integration. We need people to be looking out for people and housing like this. I get the intent, but you're just stacking shit on shit here. I mean, 10,000 people in that small of an area, it's... I get it. I know. It's for these people, people that live in, like, congested city areas who listen to this, I know it's it, it probably sucks to be that close and to be able to hear your fucking neighbor whacking off through the wall or whatever. It's... Y- you want peace and quiet. You want a home. and. I'm with you. Um, in the service, we were that. We had to share communal bathrooms. We had everything so close. And I couldn't wait to go home on leave or or get a hotel room even. Just have a sense of privacy. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's scary, but it's true. I mean, this is, this is just the way of the world. The way things work is... And I don't know what, how to learn from this, and how to how to make people have better situations when it comes to housing. You wanna 
take care of as many people as you can. And and I've seen housing projects in almost all the major cities from Chicago to even here in Grand Rapids. It's just about affordability at the end of the day. The poor can't pay a certain amount and need help. And the middle class is getting driven up and down and left and right too. So we're all in this together. And I just, you know, I understand where you're coming from, honey, when you have this vision of like everybody gets things. Man, if you could for one year take away everybody's rent, I mean, the amount of headaches that would go away. Yeah, people would be way less stressed. They could focus on their challenges in their life instead of their struggles in their life. That's why I want everybody to be fed and cared for. Well, that's what you argued about, because we both talked about it after watching the documentary Obsolete. We talked about UBI a little bit, whereas I'm opposed to that because I don't know overall if that's the right decision i think it's a right decision because it it's it's about what is humane for everyone and we have some programs like disability and unemployment and welfare so we we're already doing that we're we're already doing that we have free public schooling because everybody should be educated right we have food stamps because everybody should eat of course. I'm, so, not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think that... Well, I'm more worried about inflation and the government. I mean, we saw spending uh, the price of eggs triple in the last, like, six months just because of COVID, really. And and gas got sky high. I mean, it was it was like, do I pay my heating bill or do I drive to my girlfriend's? There's, which is exactly what we're dealing with right now with the middle class of... Right. You know, we're, we're getting pulled into it too so and it's it's becoming more and more apparent every time you go to the grocery store so right Right. and rent is like going up oh yeah yeah and that's not i mean even internet just went up so if all of those things are going up and people are people are struggling to stay into in their homes just like the female rats People become more aggressive and fighting, and it sounds a lot like what happens to single mothers or any parent in general when we're stressed and we have to carry all the weight. I don't know. I can say personally that happened to me when I became a single mom is I was stressed that I I did not become a good version of myself. I had to hold the female and or the feminine and masculine, and I had a short fuse. Well, it's not your job. in it's hard to take on a job that's not yours, but I, my heart goes out to all the single moms out there or the divorcees and people who have to do it on their own. Um, this country would fall apart if it wasn't for you guys working those doubles. And I just want to say thank you. I also think it's unfair and I think that everybody yeah. should have. No, I agree. So now you're agreeing with me. You think there should be a basic well, I'm not, I there's a few things I'd have to I'd have to know to break up a family over the cost of eggs and the cost of rent. I don't think it's worth it. I think it's better to, that people have just like covid times more time to be with a family, to enrich each other, to have conversations instead of bitching and complaining because somebody ate the last Oreo and we can only have one Oreo a day because Oreos are eight dollars. Yeah, I mean it would just clear a lot of clutter socially. And I think we would advance humanity would. And I think that we would have space to become better people. This is just a theory. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. So the decline of Prout Ego really started just four years after the opening of the project. Deteriorating conditions were already evident. Elevator breakdowns, vandalism were cited as major problems. Uh, The recession of 1958 led to increased crime, vacancy, and rent delinquency in the development, which cut into the housing authority's revenue. In response, the authority reduced maintenance by 10%, and the reduction in maintenance, coupled with a grand jury report that criticized crime levels in Prout Ego, caused a significant drop in applications to the development. 
Increasing vacancy rates set off a feedback loop where the loss of revenue from rent forced the housing authority to curtail maintenance, further reducing the project's desirability. Occupancy at both Pruitt and Ego peaked in the first years at 95 and 86%, respectively. In the 60s, Pruitt remained about 75%, Bull and Ego 65. In 1969, those numbers fell to 57.1% and 48.9%. At one point, the vacancy rate was higher than any other public housing complex in the country. The annual turnover rate was 20%. In 1965, the project received a federal grant to improve the physical condition of the building and establish social programs for residents, but the grant failed to reverse the decline. Between 1963 and 1966, it was subject of a sociological study by Lee Rainwater. By the late 1960s, Prue Ego was described as resembling a city under siege. In 1966, the Prue Ego Neighborhood Corporation commissioned a survey of the housing project that cataloged numerous issues with its maintenance, security, and management. Basic services like elevators and heating often failed, and maintenance sometimes took years to respond to tenant requests. The withdrawal in 1967 of a private security force that patrolled the buildings led to further escalation in crime and vandalism, which was partially attributed to the large number of juveniles in single-parent households. A census undertaken in September of 65 found that 69.2% of inhabitants were minors, and less than 30% of households with children had both parents present. Teenage pregnancy and juvenile delinquency were considered major problems by the residents. Families at Prue Ego were large. The average household had four minors, and the average woman would give birth to five or six children during her childbearing years. Nearly half of births and 73% of firstborn children were out of wedlock. Though the statistic was no higher in Prue Ego than in near, nearby private housing. In spite of widespread issues, most inhabitants of Prue Ego continued to live ordinary lives, and according to Rainwater and activist Joan Miller, quote, the vast majority responded to their sick society in a healthy manner. 78% of residents reported that they were satisfied with their apartment, and 80% said that Prue Ego met their needs a little better or much better than their previous place of residence. The project contained isolated pockets of relative well-being throughout its worst years, and apartments clustered around small two-family landings with tenants working to maintain and clear their common areas were often relatively successful. So much like the mouse from earlier, there were a couple of mouse that kind of hung out on the fringes that got through the experiment without bumps and bruises. But I think overall... This really just kind of makes me think about a lot of things, and mostly that it makes me reconsider kind of what I thought before when it came to how to establish kind of like solutions for people when it comes to overcrowding or housing needs it's it's all really scary in this world you know we're all walking a fine line to try to get to the end of the day and you know i don't know what the best solution for these people would have been um because we have examples like this and we have experiments like the mouse utopia and um i don't know honey well i i think that Getting humanity out of survival mode would be step number one. Mm -hmm. Because when the rats, you know, had this um, overcrowding issue, issue, the the sense of, well, with humans, the sense of family um, is an important factor. And you can't even focus on family or your own kids when you are grinding three jobs, coming Mm -hmm. home exhausted, not able to really even pass your wisdom on to your kids and then the breakdown of the family happens and then moms just stop just like in the mouse experiment the moms just stopped um raising their kids altogether and it's uh, so they were neglected and not taught basic skills and this is what happens in humanity and that's why i think that everybody should have a home and food. <laughs> I know that's why you think everybody should have a home and food. 
I, I think that's not too much to ask. Um, did any? you did you talk about the spoiled rats yet? Are you going to get to that? No, I'm not. I've covered all my bases oh. on my end, but you can go ahead and okay. And so in. so after a couple of generations where the mice were fine, happy, getting their pellets, walking around, making their little clicks. Um, then it got bad with the overcrowding, and then the clicks turned into uh, the beautiful ones in the Mice of Universe 25. Um, they were just grooming themselves like the Kardashians, <laughs> and uh, they were called the beautiful ones because all they did was groom themselves, and they had no scars because they didn't fight, and the mice never left their housing area, um, and they had their entourage of other mice feed them and fight and protect them. They were the rats of Hollywood. Interesting. Yeah. So this is happening before our very TikTok eyes. <laughs> our very TikTok eyes. I like that. Do, does that mean we have, um, what is it, meta brains now? And TikTok eyes <laughs> and Facebook feet? I think that's right. Um. Yeah, I mean, like you said, with the with the other place, that they, there's an example of some good that always comes of it, you know? I mean, that's like when I read that Black Plague book, I realized there were a lot of good things that come out of terrible catastrophes. Yeah, in order to survive and stay sane. Um, I think I think our experience, we're 40. Um, in our generation, we had homes and the privacy where we could go cry and self-soothe and be away from drama. But our teens and preteens come home from school and have little privacy um, because they're still connected to their friends and their pockets and even strangers with opinions on social media. And that, I think, is going to could possibly have a bad effect just like when the rats had no privacy they started clawing each other's eyes out and things got crazy so that's what i fear for my kid and you know you can say oh take their phone away or but that the kids have their phones so as parents we do need to not have to have three jobs just to feed them instead i think it would be very beneficial if we were around so we could teach our kids self-soothing, help them talk through their problems. And, you know, a school counselor can only do so much. They, I think they need parental or adult figures that are present in their life. So we can pass our wisdom on to the next generation and they can build from there. Amen, sister. Yeah. I think I'll marry you one day. Well, my other utopian idea is to abolish war. Um, mm. But does war keep us striving and give what us a drive for? for safety and family? Is that what it's good for? Uh, it keeps the military industrial complex happy. It funds major corporations and rich bigwigs who are at the top. It keeps conflict in the uh, media's entry point when it comes to ratings. It gives CNN and Fox News a boost. Yeah, I don't know that the the negative side of my brain thinks that that'll probably never happen. But the reality is, is um, I would love for it to happen. Or do you think we need war? Like society often contemplates the idea of an alien well, invasion bringing us closer together. Well, right? Perhaps the mice in the experiment just needed a cat to invade every once in a while. Maybe that's true. Does God need Lucifer? Ooh, I mean, he created him. People ask, is this why God allows frightening things to take place to remind us of who we are and what our values are? I always thought it was because we were we started off as cavemen, so we need to be scared of the saber-toothed tiger <laughs> in order to make sure we keep is, a fire and a, a, a club nearby to so the also question, hit our women when they badly cook see, a saber-toothed steak. of correction. <laughs> is purpose derived from adversity? Does war give us motivation and vision for larger expansion, growth, creativity in a variety of industries and social contracts, constructs? Mama, Casey for president. I don't believe this to be true. I don't believe this to be true. We need to remember that there's a huge difference between the painful struggle and a healthy challenge. 
perhaps we need a prompt to bond us as a unit for survival to overcome problems but or accomplish something but i think i think it's a reasonable deal to have the good and the bad but i'm just not sure about strife right i don't think we need it well i don't know if we solve all the world's problems tonight but we started somewhere do we need a plague every century or so we're going to get one regardless of whether we want it or not. People don't wash their hands enough or brush their teeth or change their socks and underwear enough. So my dad, my dad made a really interesting point when he was raising me. He would say how he mentioned how harsher climates had the most advanced civilizations mm-hmm. and where the paradise climates contain the third world population. The smart ones. Well, yeah, I mean, in a sense, yeah, but poor, because poor people still have to work for their survival, but rich countries, you know, we have huge infrastructures. We are, just to survive, we have to make these huge expansions, Mm -hmm. but our society also has a very, I think, higher rate in suicide. Yes. Yeah, so. No, I mean, like, when you see those articles where it's like, Cambodian or not even Cambodia, uh, Indonesian man lives to be 155, smokes a pack every day, says the, says the, the key to longevity is smile and family. Like there's, there's, I've said this multiple times to my kids and I've probably mentioned it to you too. Eat all the sugar in the world and it'll still never put anywhere near a, a quarter of the damage that stressful will on your heart and your ability to function exhaust a mom with three jobs watch where she ends up you know all right so here it is bad eating um as you ryan as you study ancient cultures as well as modern societies with the information you've learned in your lifetime how do we create a utopian society okay um well if the military industrial complex isn't a thing if 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 we start from scratch, we go back to nature more than we currently are. We sustain ourselves, we learn how to communicate better. We are honest more. You don't have to make up shit to get people to like you. All you got to do is look up at the sky and talk about the weather with most people. I see the same guy every other couple days on my route. We say the same thing. Man, Christmas, snowy. Yep, I think it's going to snow again soon. You know what? That does our hearts just fine because at least we acknowledge each other. And acknowledgement is communication and communication is key. And we all need to feel like we're a part of something or else we're just that rat on the edge of the fringes getting fat, sitting alone, getting sad. We all need a partner. We all need companionship, love, all those things. We need to laugh. Laughing has saved my ass a hundred times. Well, I think you're going to get backlash with it saying we all need a partner. Oh, well, we need companionship we over need, anything. We Not, need connection. Connection, yes. But, but I'll just say this, and this is, we, we can wrap this up now. Um, there's, there's, There is a utopia to be had for everybody. I think I'll go back to my original earlier point, which was that the only way you're going to find a utopia is if you make your own for yourself. I think that's beautiful. Do you want to hear my bottom line? Sure. All right. Life is only meaningful when it's a journey led by compassion. We need to continually learn and expand and experiment with love. Enrichment is essential, or we're going to tear each other apart like those rats. Be thankful for what we do have. Gratitude is life-giving. And when something isn't earned, it loses meaning. Our minds need a combination of physical activity as well as mental stimulation to strive and thrive. So everyone, keep digging and stay curious so that we may become wise. There's so much to discover and experience in the world. And concepts to pick apart and analyze for our brain to stay in shape, just like our muscles. 
Drink your protein shakes. Mm, and with that said, that has been your Mouse Utopia episode. Thank you for listening. Check us out on the Instagram, Zanzizi Podcast. Email us at the Zan, uh, at Zanzizi Podcast at gmail.com. Suggest an episode. We'll add it to the dossier. Five stars, iTunes, Spotify, all those things. Tell a friend. There'll be a trailer out for this episode before these all come out, and I'll probably super cut some stuff together. This is just to remind me when I'm editing. So, thank you for listening. Do you have anything you want to plug? Yeah. What? I want to say that being with you is my <laughs> utopia. Oh. Oh. Well, she... Just for the listeners, there will be a video component to this show eventually, but she made it a nice, cozy, little, low-lit room for me, because I'm I'm like a bat. I'm like, ah! We have candles and a warm, glowing yellow light. And a comfy bed we're going to lay in. So, with that said, thank you for listening. We will see you next week on another episode. Have a great one, guys.